Pastor Mike read at the beginning here in Colossians 3, and would you turn with me to Colossians 3? Beginning in verse 5, I was intending to go from 5 to 17, but there was just too much, and I wanted to stop at 11, and so we're going to go verses 5 through 11 this morning. And my message is entitled, Spiritual Warfare for Every Christian, or Our Call... To kill our own sin with Christ. We are called to kill our own sin with Christ's help and in his strength and for Christ. A pastor once was asked by a growing Christian, he was asked this question. He said, Pastor, could you tell me the steps to defeat sin in my life? I wonder how that question lands on you. If by that question he means, Pastor, can you give me a formula for how to be sinless? Then it's the wrong type of thinking. But if the question, which I think it meant, was coming from a person who trusts Christ, who cares that sin is still present and feels it every day and wants to get rid of it, he doesn't want to just be okay with it. And as asking, Pastor, what should I do to practically fight against sin? I think it's a real good question. And it got me thinking about it. What if one of my sons comes to me at night and just says, Hey, Dad, you're a pastor and you're my dad. Could you show me the steps of how to put to death sin in my life? What would I say? Pastors, elders in this church, what would we say? Well, In Colossians, we now find Paul telling believers, after describing to believers all the glory of what God has done through them in Jesus Christ, their freedom in Christ, their union with Christ, Christ is now their life and Christ is their identity. He now tells them that they are to deal with still with the sin that remains in their lives. He tells them to get rid of it. Their sinful behaviors and attitudes. As we look at these verses, I pray that we would glean instructions of how to fight and kill sin in our lives. Would you look with me? I want to begin at verse 1 of chapter 3, and let's read through verse 11. Follow along as I read God's word. If then, Paul says, you've been raised with Christ, since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Have a new mentality where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is in the safest place in the universe. It's hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, meaning he returns someday, then you will appear with him in glory, everlasting life. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, given all these things that he just says, you've been raised with Christ, 
You are called to a new mentality. Seek those things and keep your minds on those things. Your life is hidden in Christ. Christ is now your life. He's going to appear again. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. He gives a list of five. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which he says is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And here's another of less to five plus one. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and if you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, here, in this new creation that God's doing, here there is not Greek and Jew, there's not circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but here there, Christ is all in all and in all. Christ is all and he's in all. Spiritual warfare for every Christian. I wonder what you think about spiritual warfare when I say that. What do you think about? Maybe you think about Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. Maybe you think of Pilgrim's Progress if you read it and some of the battles that Christian had in John Bunyan's classic Maybe you think about walking around a building and claiming this building for Christ and removing all evil spirits. Maybe you think of the casting out of demons or exorcisms. But this morning, I'm thinking of one particular aspect of a spiritual warfare that all of us are called to, and that is the spiritual warfare of going to war with our sin or what Paul refers to it as that which is earthly among you. I want to say it this way this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are a Christian, Christians fight to kill their own sin with Christ. I say they fight to kill their own sin. Your main goal isn't to go fighting your spouse's sin or your children's sin, though you care about them. It is to kill your own sin with Christ. In verse 5, he says, put to death what is earthly in you. We see this theme by Paul all the time in Romans 8, 13. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, you kill, you put to death the deeds of the body, the flesh, you will live. And to the Galatians, he says in verse chapter 5, those who belong to Christ, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, friends, I want to tell you, and Paul would tell you, there is a wrong way to do this. And Paul will say that at the end, if you were to go back and read in chapter 2, he would say there were false teachers coming in and saying that you need to practice these certain things and 
pray to certain angels and do certain rituals and practice certain Sabbaths and probably a different kind of circumcision and do all these kinds of things in order to defeat sin in your life, including these rules of do not taste and do not touch, all these things that God didn't say you had to do. They were extra man-made, let's not even get close, let's do all these kinds of things. And he says... Watch out because they really will have no effect in truly dealing with the heart and dealing with that true passion in your heart. Instead, he's going to say, you need to put to death, but with Christ and Christ alone. If your son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter, if your friend comes to you and says, brother or sister, I have sin in my life, though I'm a Christian. How do I get rid of it? How do I fight it? How do I not surrender to it, but fight against it? How do I go after it? This is the spiritual warfare I want to call you to this morning. These verses, verses 5 through 11, point us to four truths to arm every Christian to kill sin. Here they are. Number one. We are to recognize that sin is still in you. It might seem simple. It might seem obvious, but I don't think it always is, and we should not just assume it, friends. The first and big, first and big step towards going to war against our own sin in our own life is to recognize that it is still there. Every one of us. If you're breathing... You have sin. If you have no sin, you probably don't belong here. We'll pollute you. (laughs) Notice what Paul says in verse 5. Put to death what is earthly in you. He's assuming you have sin in you. It's easy to miss, but it's, it's there. And we begin our spiritual warfare recognizing that we have sin in our lives. And when I say recognizing, I don't mean giving permission to sin. I'm a sinner, so I can sin. No. You don't give yourself permission to that, but recognizing. And the old timers, the Puritans, they had a term for it. They called this indwelling sin. So we were saved. We came to the cross of Jesus Christ. We received him, and he forgave us of all of our sin. Did that mean that at that very moment there was no more sinful inclinations or any desires for any selfishness or pride or lust or anger or fear within us? Is that your experience? It isn't. I know it isn't. For all of us, we are saved, but we, are, we remain in a place where there is still sin remaining, and it's called indwelling sin, and we need to recognize this if we're going to battle it. And I pray that this week, not in order to discourage you, but to arm you and equip you to know that you face something that you need to face probably more intentionally, and that is what Paul calls that which is earthly in you. Now, he gives a list here, and in the first list of what he says we are to put to death, 
he says sexual immorality, and then he lists several sins that probably relate to the category of sexual sin. Very possibly because these Colossians coming out of a Gentile background were still struggling with it, and he knew that they would struggle with it. But of course, modern-day American Christians never struggle with sexual sin, I'm sure. Right? Of course not. Of course they do. And he says, it is, it is not to be a part of you. You need to go to war with putting to death all sexual sin. And he ends this list with, he says, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The idea of covetousness, it has to do with the word greed. I'm greedy. But you could maybe more fully define it, an inappropriate desire for more. An inappropriate desire for more. A, a desire for more in such a way that doesn't trust God, but clings after it and pushes people aside and doesn't have God's lo- a love to God and a love for others. And we do that, people do that sexually. It could happen in marriages. It can happen for single people, married people. And he says, you are to put to death what is earthly in you. Surely, though, he would not mean to say, the only thing that you need to deal with is sin is sexual sin, and that's it. Of course, that's not what he's going to say, and so he's going to go on, and he says, you also need to put away, I guess, some of the more respectable sins, like anger, wrath. How many of you, over the last week's have been angry at something, whether it be yelling or just quietly. You could be wrathful and angry and not say a word. You could be so upset about something or bitter at somebody and you didn't say a word and nobody knows, but in your heart, you're fuming. And he says you are to put away, and he lists these anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. The point of all of these is not... These are the lists you need to check the boxes on, and then you're good. He gives some examples, and we could say any sin, he's saying. He says, put to death them. Get rid of these things. You are to put them away. You are to take them off like old, dirty garments, and you are to take them and discard them. You say, how do I do that, pastor? I've tried and tried and tried. How do you do that? Well, you start by recognizing that you still have it in you. Oh, friends, we still have indwelling sin. In fact, John is going to say this in his letter. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The problem sometimes might be that, oh, we know we're sinners. We're not perfect. We're human. We might use those terms. We're human. No. Oh, we have still within us, from probably really till now, until we die, we have within us some of this indwelling sin that God says, I'm not immediately going to take it away. I have called you and armed you, and I'm going to change you, and I'm going to give you a lifelong battle of having to deal with that. You're going to have to deal with temptations until you die. You're going to have to deal with fears and sinful fear, not trusting in God type of fear until you die. You're going to have to, tr- trust. You're going to, have to deal with anger and forgiveness issues. You're going to have to deal with controlling your tongue. 
you're going to have to deal with the battle of lust, of an inappropriate desire for what you are not called to have. You're not married, and you're not called to have that woman. You are not married to him, and you must not think and fantasize that way. And to the opposite virtue is you are called to a type of contentment and trust in God. And here he says it begins with recognizing that there's sin that's still in you. We've prayed for, and we started praying for revival. Whatever that means, it means an intensification of the Holy Spirit working in our church in such a way that he convicts us of sin and brings us to a great joy in who Jesus is and a growing in holiness and a love that reaches our community in a way that people go, that can, cannot be explained by human beings. God is doing something I could never have imagined. Well, the first mark of when he's doing that is when God's people, Christians, by the Holy Spirit's conviction, start to realize, oh, Oh, God, forgive me. I thank you for forgiving me in the cross. Oh, God, I have more problems in my heart than I ever thought. Oh, God, please help me. Help me to be like Paul who said, oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Romans 7. But thanks be to God. It's in Christ Jesus. The first step is for us to name it or to know that we have it. We have sin and to recognize it. Number two. Step two, battling, arming ourselves to fight and to kill sin is, number two, remember that sin is always dealt with by God's wrath. I I want you to think this week as you go about your your day and you, you think about some of your own struggles, the ways in which you dishonor God, in which you fall short of giving him glory, you don't put trust in him, instead things you know are sin. I want you to remember that your sin is always dealt with by God's wrath. Now, this is what I mean by this. So in this passage, verse 6, look at verse 6 right here. He says this, remember this, remember God's perspective. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He's telling this to Christians. These sins that I've told you to put to death, Put away, get rid of. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Friends, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want to warn you, there will come a day of judgment and the wrath of God that he will judge all sins that have not been forgiven on the cross of Jesus Christ. There are two ways in which God will deal with sins with his wrath. Number one, one way, is God's wrath gets poured out on Jesus on the cross for sinners who repent and look to Christ for forgiveness. In that case, God's wrath came upon Jesus in our stead for our sins. And our sins were forgiven. We were covered from the wrath of God, and we will be covered from the wrath of God forever. Amen. But 
Remember when you're fighting your sin that your sin will always face the wrath of God, either the wrath of God with Jesus on the cross for forgiven sin, or the second category would be God's wrath will be poured out on sinners who have not received Christ's gift. The wrath will be poured on them and they will die and they will go to hell forever. Paul says to the Ephesians, be sure of this, that everyone who is, it, it's all sinners, not just a certain category, but he's reminding them that are flipping about sin. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is idolater, sounds like what our passage says, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Let no one deceive them with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Oh, and the gospel is always reminding us and calling us, and we are to call to our neighbors and to our friends and to our children and our grandchildren. Be prepared for the wrath of God. Your sin will face the wrath of God. The question is, how will it face the wrath of God? Lay down your, yourself and surrender to Jesus Christ and be saved and have him forgive you. Look to Jesus. And as you fight your sins, brothers and sisters, and right now I'm talking to Christians who have had your sins covered at the cross. We just reminded ourselves of it at communion. You are to fight your sins remembering that the very sins, the sins of lust and men struggling against pornography or just lust in general, women and men alike struggling with the lust of the, the love of comfort and letting that drive us into just mere selfishness, pride, putting ourselves first, not having a care for those around us spiritually. We could just, we could just look, obscene talk. Putting ourselves time and time again in front of TV shows and videos that, that laugh and entertain us based on things that God has already said he hates and Jesus died for to forgive us of. And just not caring about that. Those sins are forgiven. I want to tell you in the gospel, you don't have to earn his forgiveness. You already received it if you're in Christ. He forgave you all your sins, your past, present, and future. The only sin that you can put to death is a forgiven sin. Let me say that again. The only sin you can put to death in your life is a forgiven sin. And so... As you think about your habits, attitudes, struggles, or just the flaming, really hard stuff that you're dealing with, go to God and remind yourself and thank him that he has already forgiven you as you look to kill it, to put it to death in your life. I guess you could say to put to death something is to, to go at its life source so that it has no more life in you. Go after that sin so it has no more life in you. Those desires so it has no more life in you. That's part of, and there's only one way is to bring a, an, a superior life source in your life. And that is what Paul is trying to get us to understand. It's Christ. Christ in you. Christ is more satisfying and greater. 
Friends, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive, having forgiven you all your trespasses. He canceled the record of debt that stood against you, and he nailed it at the cross, and he says, forgiven. And then he says, now put to death these sins that you've been forgiven for. Step number one is recognizing you have sin in you. And number two, remember that sin is always dealt with by God's wrath. Take it seriously. Number three, realize that sin no longer marks you. Christ does. Oh, faith church member, Christian visitor, if you're in Christ, you are called to do, to do war on your sin in your life. You need to do it by remembering that Christ, your sin does not mark you. Christ marks you now. You might consider yourself an alcoholic because of your past. That's not who you are. Christ is in you. You are Christ. You might consider yourself sexually addicted and finding, finding, seeking help from that. That's not who you are. It's Christ. You might consider yourself a struggling gossip. Big time bad thing. All of them are. They're sins. That's not who you are. Christ marks you. Christ marks you not being an anxious person, not being bitter, not being loud-mouthed and too much of a talker, not listening to people. Those things are not what marks you. What marks you now is Jesus Christ. And oh, he loves to put his mark on a bunch of messed up people like you and me. That is his glorious business of showing off his, his forgiveness, his grace, his power, and his love. You need to realize this, and he, he does this in this passage. Look what Paul says here in verse 7. In these, these sins, you used to walk. You once walked when you were living in them, but you don't live in them anymore. That's not where you live anymore. You're living in Christ. Remember? As you receive Christ Jesus, now live in him, walk in him. Paul wants us to fight rejoicing in this reality. Our past does not dictate our present and future. Friends, your past sins do not dictate. There might be consequences to your body and to your life and to patterns and some difficulties and enslaving things that are still you're going to battle with and you need help. But they do, your past does not dictate your present. That's what Paul is saying. You once did this, but that's not where you are anymore. You have put them off, he says, and you have put on life. He says to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 8, at one time you were darkness, but not anymore. You are light in the Lord, so walk as children of the light. You see, that doesn't mean you're automatically going to be living light. But you need to walk, you need to pursue it, you need to fight towards it. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he forgave you all. You are marked. The rest of church life, for the next 30 years, it's my calling as a pastor, if he gives me that long, is to teach you, you're marked by Christ. You're not marked by your sin. You're marked by Christ. You're not marked by yourself. You're marked by Christ, not by what the world tells you. You're marked by Christ. And what that means, at least four things, four F's, 
for you to remember, that means you're forgiven. You're a marked person that's forgiven. I've already said that in point two, but you're forgiven all of it, past, present, and future. There's nothing you can do also to make God love you more. Now, there's certain things you do that please him, but he loves you nonetheless completely and perfectly. Now, because of your salvation in Christ, you're forgiven. Secondly, you're freed. And we sang about this in it as well with my soul. You are, you are freed. He says that he has taken you from the dominion of darkness, slavery of darkness, and he has transferred you into the kingdom of your son. The, the, you do not have to rule, live for the slave master of sexual lust, of comparison to others, to the fear of man or for the approval of other people. You do not have to live under your bitterness. You don't have to live to the slave master of being and having all of the possessions of this. The world says is where you find security and significance. They're all slave masters leading to death if you follow them. You're marked by Christ, and so you're freed from them. That's part of the point when Paul, that's a big part of the point when Paul says, for you have died, verse 4, or verse 3, and your life is hidden with Christ. Romans 6 is going to say, you died. In your baptism, we're going to have baptisms next week, your baptism is a picture, you died and you rose, you live in a newness of life. You don't have to listen to the slave master of sin anymore. You live to the, you are a slave of Jesus Christ, leading to life and righteousness and glory. That is how you fight sin. You're going to say, you're going to make commitments of, no, I can't do this, and maybe get accountability partners, and you're going to do some other things. But you fight sin by understanding that it no longer marks you. So it's freedom. You're, you're forgiven. You're free. You've been freed. You're filled. If you remember in chapter 2, verse 10, he says to us, For in him the whole fullness of deity bodily dwells, and you've been filled in him who is the head and rule of authority. You've been filled with him. He is enough for you. He is your satisfaction. He, you can, when Paul was struggling with dis, potentially discontentment in Philippians 4, he says, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Strengthens me what? To be content in him, trusting in him, because he is my filling. He is my fullness. The world is going to say, no, you're going to be filled in this relationship or the love of your spouse or the love of your children or success in career or this financial goal or this, whatever it is. Jesus is your fulfillment. And you're marked by him and he says, you've been filled in him. The last F would be, Family or fellowship? And I just mean you've been brought into a family. You've been brought into the church. It is, marks you. You are his people now. You're a fellowship. You're together with God's people, and it's your family. And you see that in these verses when he says, Tim, look at Colossians 3 again, when he just says at the end of the, in verse 10 into 11, he says, you put on the new self, 
It's renewed in the knowledge of the image of the Creator. And here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, slave, and free. And he's he's about to transition into this, these commands about the Christian life with other Christians. And he says, here, there is, he says, here, Christ is all and in all. You've entered a family where Christ is all and in all. We are that family by God's grace, and that marks you. Oh, may God help us. May God help us for the rest of our lives to to just truly let it click. Let the penny drop. Whatever you want to use the analogy, really move from black and white, grainy screen to high definition understanding that Christ has now marked you. You are in Christ. Christ is your life. He is all and in all. The last strategy I call you to or step is number four, be ready to confess and forsake sin with Christ's help. Be ready to confess and forsake sin with Christ's help. Okay, you got sin. It's going to be dealt with God's wrath. It doesn't mark you. Christ does. Now, confess it and forsake it. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his sin or transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. In verse 8 of chapter 3 of Colossians, he says, You must put them all away. That's, you must forsake them. You must forsake that sexual immorality. You must forsake greed. Maybe by starting to give. You need to forsake the inappropriate desire for more and be content in God. You need to forsake fill in the blank of what your struggle is and confess it to God. Notice he, he names sin. He doesn't just call it inappropriate behavior, indiscretion, or weakness that you might have. He calls it sexual immorality. He calls it slander. He calls it malice. He calls it evil desire. That's, we are filled with those things in our lives, and we need to confess them first to God and where we've sinned against others to them. Know the promises of God that when we confess our sins, he forgives us because he's faithful in keeping his promise. He forgives us and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, it says in 1 John. And then John writes to this church and he says, my little children, I write these things so that you won't sin, but when you do sin, know that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, he's there for you. He is the propitiation for your sins, our sins, and not our own only, our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. A quick word before we end on confessing sins. Friends, when you seek God's forgiveness, understand these things. Confess your sins specifically. Not just, God, I, I struggle with indwelling sin. I kind of struggle, God. Maybe take some time and write them down. Write down bitterness, unforgiveness, gossip, harsh words, curse words, obscene talk, lust, pornography, selfishness, 
Confess your specific sins and thoughts, words, and behaviors to God. And he forgives. And he helps. He strengthens. And if you're struggling with being, being freed from past or present sins or your guilt, you say, I've already asked God to forgive me, and I still feel really guilty. Or I'm really struggling with it. Seek help and encouragement. Seek it from the leaders in this church. Seek it from the mature Christians in the church. There are many in this church that are not even pastors or deacons that you could go to and seek help and ask them. Say, can I meet with you? I'm struggling with sin. I want to confess them, and I want you to help me pray to God. Not because those people are your priests, but James says, confess your sins one to another. And I think that that means when you sin against them, but I think it means they can help you Look to the promises of God and help you grow in the Lord. The biblical principle of confession. I think before another witness can help it be effective in beating habitual sins. And it's an, an opportunity to have some accountability and help. Oh, that God would help us. Oh, this, friends, this is for our joy. Our sin is, is a bunch of joy-killing varmints that are in our life, continually chewing at the inner soul of who we are, trying to, and destroying us, keeping us from loving the things we ought to love. We were made to be really joyful in the Lord Jesus Christ. We were made to be satisfied in Christ and Christ alone. And yet our experience daily is that we're not. It's because of indwelling sin. Oh, that God would help us to put to death that which is earthly. To get rid of them, put them all away by the grace and power that is in Jesus Christ. May God help us as a people to not be satisfied with complaining attitudes and discontentment and gossip, grumbling with our work or the weather or the economy or the gas prices, all of which are trials designed by God to help us to trust in Him and to look at to Him and to thank Him for all that He has done. Next week, we are going to take the next passage in which is just important, and if I didn't preach that, this would be incomplete in our strategy of fighting and putting to death sin, because it's not just about getting rid of sin. He's going to say, and put on something else. He's going to say, put on as God's loved people and God's chosen people and God's holy people, put on these attributes of Jesus Christ is the very way of even combating that which is earthly in us. God made us to be people who are sinners, yes, and compassionate to other sinners because we know how to sin in our own heart. But he made us to be people who are growing more and more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. As we conclude, I invite all of you to turn to Christ once again this morning. If you're a believer, as we conclude and go to this next song, in fact, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up as we sing how he is, it's a kind of a throwback worship chorus of he is our all in all. And as we rejoice in that, may we declare and not just sing glibly these words, 
But would you make it a confession, maybe even a, Father, forgive me that he isn't my all in all too often. And I've allowed sin to choke me. And if you're here and you say, oh, save me from the wrath to come. The wrath is going to get me. God's wrath is going to get me. If you have not received his forgiveness, it will. And I hope you feel that so that you'll come to receive his mercy. And would you come to Christ? Would you? I'll be here at the end of the service. If you want to talk to me about Christ or if you want to talk to someone here just about getting help to fight against your sins, we would love to help you. Let us stand as I pray. Father, would you help us this morning to put these truths to application? Oh God, I pray that you would help us to to engage with this spiritual warfare of killing sin, our own sin, with Christ. Oh, Father, thank you that we're marked. Oh, God, I pray that our being marked by forgiven and freed and filled and fellowshipped people would give us a renewed desire to put to death that which is earthly in us. Oh, God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.